Episode 210 Above Ground Podcast, BFF Therapy with Dr. Jamie Arnoff. Disclaimer, the hosts of this podcast, Timothy Patrick and Will Foley, are by no means medical professionals. However, having lived experience with mental illness themselves, they have gained useful perspectives on common mental health issues that some of us struggle to overcome on a daily basis. By sharing their stories, they hope to create connection. By creating connection, they hope to help you find your purpose. And through purpose, we can all begin to build the foundation for positive mental health. This is Above Ground Podcast. Coming at you live with real conversations about mental health from the peer perspective. it's time for Above Ground Podcast. Now your hosts, TPP and Will Foley. Hey, what is up everyone? Welcome to Above Ground Podcast. Above ground podcast because you can't serve below. What up, TPP? Happy Sunday, man. We are on Zoom, so that means we are here for another interview this morning. Timmy, why don't you tell us about our guest? Well, I was uh, fortunate enough to attend a, a a thing at the high school. They had a thing at the high school for our friend, actually Donna from James Warriors, who we had on Above Ground Podcast episode uh, number one eighty eight, I believe it was. Um, she was speaking and she actually had, uh, uh, Dr. Jamie Arnoff on, um, like this zoom type thing. And, um, she was speaking also. And so it was just this big, um, talking about, you know, teens and anxiety, depression and stuff like that. So I reached out to Dr. Jamie Arnoff and here we are. So Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Happy Absolutely. Dr. Jamie, thank you very much for joining us this morning. It's a pleasure to meet you. Um, I cannot wait to hear about your work and, and what you're doing. Likewise, I'm excited to be here. One of the things that I thought was, um, I mean, I just immediately kind of related to a lot of the stuff that you were saying on that night. But afterwards, I kind of went online and, and just looked up some things. And one, one of the things that popped out for me was... Um, there was, uh, I think it was, I don't know if it was your words or not, but it, it was, um, you concentrate on, on insight, humor, and a good dose of reality. And I ju- it just fit what we kind of do here because a lot of people, um, you know, I mean, this is all serious, obviously, that we're talking about. The subjects are very serious, but can we joke around and bring some humor into it and maybe um, ease the conversation and, you know, to help other people op- open up and have the conversation as well? Yeah. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah, that's um my on my psychology today page, which is how people can look for a therapist and find me and learn a little bit more about me, but also probably on our website, which is the same thing. They're probably going from one to the other just to learn a little bit about who I am to decide if I'm a good fit to consider exploring as a provider. But I feel like a lot of my clients, which are mostly adolescents, um, need some help building insight because maybe they haven't thought about the things that are bothering them in the way that I might, you know, kind of inquire. Maybe people haven't been asking them the questions that I've asked them. It might be the first time they're sort of thinking about these things. Um, and I'm, I like to think of myself as a very transparent provider. So, um, I'm going to be pretty honest with them, check their reality, challenge their thinking, um, and working with kids. I think it's very important to 
bring some lightheartedness to it. It can be scary sitting in a room with a stranger that happens to be a therapist that you don't know, sharing what I call the tough stuff, you know, the hard, the hard things in life. So I think bringing some humor to it is really important. I see from your psychology today page that you have a specialty in working with the deaf. And yeah. um, I was curious to know where that started from and and how that came to be. And what is that like in a therapy session to work with a, a, a deaf individual? Sure. Um, my, I grew up um, in a big family and there was a family friend um, who was deaf and using American Sign Language. And so that was something I had exposure to when I was in elementary school and our local high school at the time, Ketchum High School, I don't think they run this anymore, but they had sign language camp every summer. And so my sisters and I went to sign language camp every summer, just for a week or two, very basic, like learned the letters of the alphabet. Um, the culmination of the camp was learning a cool song in sign language. So like the Backstreet Boys <laughs> and performing it for our families. So that's sort of where I started with sign language. And I kept up with it until I was sort of like a counselor in training and then running my own kind of youth camp class through Ketchum when I was in high school. And I ended up majoring in deaf studies as one of my majors. Uh, I went to Boston University. So I double majored in psychology and deaf studies. And then I went and obtained my PhD actually in Washington, D.C. at Gallaudet University, which undergrad is primarily deaf and hard of hearing students. It's like 95% deaf and hard of hearing. And the graduate program is can be a variety. Our, you know, um, cohort was um, predominantly hearing, but we had some deaf and hard of hearing individuals as well. So that's sort of my uh, education along that work. But now I um, will see deaf clients of any age, really with any presenting concern, just because the access is so limited to providers who are fluent in American Sign Language and have my educational experience and working with the population. Yeah, that's excellent. I want to actually jump into how you got into more of specialize more in, in the teens, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think, um, I mean, we've talked about this on here, you know, numerous times, we always bring it up. And I feel very strongly that that's what we need to focus on mm -hmm. as, as a society, as a culture, and, and, you know, integrate it into the schools and have different mental health programs in the classes and the curriculum. Um, so with that said, if, if you could kind of just let us know how you kind of gravitated that way towards that and, um, you know, how it's going. Yeah. I start in grad school. Your first practicum sort of is on campus at the mental health center. So it's providing therapy and assessment services to the college students. So that was sort of my first exposure to doing the work that I was learning how to do with real life clients. And they happened to be a little bit younger. And I really liked that. And from then on, I just sort of chose placements working with children and adolescents. Um, each one varied 
the place that I sort of matched for my internship, my full year internship, saw children as young as two, which is a lot of parent work, uh, all the way through 21. And so I had just this ex wide exposure of um, client ages, but mostly minors. And I really loved working with adolescents because they felt a little tougher, like they kept me on my toes and I never quite knew what I was walking into. And I kind of like that. And it's fun to kind of banter with them in a way that um, sometimes with my adults, I don't have that experience. And so it feels like real work when I'm with them. And like I mentioned before, this might be the first time they're ever really being thoughtful about some of the things that are causing them trouble. And um or maybe they have been thoughtful about it, but the people around them haven't really asked in any way or in a way that felt safe or comfortable or permissible to share how they were feeling. So I also really appreciate being um, a person like that for them, maybe the first person like that for them. Um, you know, because as you're saying, you, they're they're in school, maybe they're doing sports, they have coaches, they have parents, and all those people might be very well intending and asking the questions they're they think that they should ask um and maybe there's just like a little bit of a block it's hard to hard to talk to your parents about tough stuff it's hard to you know share with teachers and and people you see every day so um being this objective third party person um can sometimes be the right start for a kiddo who wants to talk about something that's really hard Absolutely. Actually, you just kind of sparked something, a question that I have. So I'm just going to ask because, um, sure. you you know, obviously when it, I, I don't even necessarily think it's it's um, specific to when they're younger. But even I have a friend who is a, a school psychologist mm -hmm. and, and she said a lot of the times that she talks, it's it's trying to get the parents involved because it's like you can only do so much, but you need the parents involved. How do we do that how how do we as parents help a child feel vulnerable and talk to us how do we help them but also just in general how do we get the parents more involved mm, okay so for the first question it makes me think a lot about um our presentations with james's warriors because the our sort of motto is that talk saves lives and um the idea that you can just have conversations with your kids about really anything, just promoting the idea that talking is expected and asking them questions about what you notice they like, what music they like, what, you know, activities they're enjoying, maybe their favorite subject, but also um, that's kind of sort of would be sort of a way to sort of engage them in something that feels a little bit lighter and gets both of you into the habit of just talking to one another without the pressure of feeling like there's an agenda or you're really looking for something or you're prying, you know, as a parent, which kids are just going to shut down to that. This is you just like joining them where they're at. Um, and then also having tougher conversations, tough, talking about feelings and you don't have to feel like you have to overshare, um, but, you know, just people feel, you know, humans have emotions there to be expected. I normalize that for all of my clients. I normalize that in the presentations with James's warriors and validating that that's normal and that it's okay to talk about it. You know, you can be a model for them about, you know, having a hard day and 
just putting it out on the table. And I think that gives them a little bit more permission to talk about it as well. If it's not something that's being talked about, they may feel like it's an off limits topic. Um, they might be worried that it's not okay to talk about this particular thing. They don't know how to, cause they've never tried or never seen it. Um, you know, they might be worried that you're going to be really mad or pass them off to someone else. It could be that they're worried you're going to send them away to a hospital or somewhere else that they think exists because they saw it in a movie once, but that's, it's not real life. Um, so yeah, I think just talking about it and, and checking in with them, it's okay for you to ask them directly, you know, how are you doing? I'm noticing this. How are you feeling? Are you okay? Do you want to talk about this? Do you want to talk about it with me? Or is this something that maybe you'd want to talk to somebody else about, you know, kind of open that up too. They don't necessarily have to talk to you about it. I know that's sort of a goal, which would, you know, lead into your second question, but that's why people like me exist. You can let them know that there are people like me who, who exist and you can check out, you know, our psychology today page or our website or our Instagram and learn a little bit about people like me who work with kids and um, see if that's something that's interesting to them. And once they come the way that I get parents in, I usually do my first meeting with them. Um, everybody who's there, like anybody who wants to come can come all are invited and everybody participates in the first session. Typically with teenagers, I'll kick the parents out halfway through so that they have an opportunity to spend one-on-one -on -one time with me, because again, maybe they're not feeling ready to tell their parents everything. And that's sort of the point of therapy, having a safe space um, with the exception of, you know, making a disclosure of wanting to hurt themselves, which they know I'm going to have to share with whoever's outside the waiting room before we leave for the end, the end of the day. But letting teens know that there are going to be times that I'm going to want to meet with their parents or have family sessions because they don't exist in a vacuum. And even if it's great work that's happening, me and them for an hour, once a week, once every other week, they're going home with their families. They're living with their families. I would want the families to be aware of what they're doing and what's working and what's not. So when, not even if, right? When in between sessions, something happens that they want to talk about, they feel like there's a support at home because um, they're not necessarily going to have access to me 24 seven. So including parents, in those sessions and letting the teenager sort of lead those sessions when they happen, how they happen, what I talk about, what I don't talk about, language they want me to use, keywords that even if they're present and they have like a little code symbol for me of like, stop talking about that. Dr. Jamie, please stop. <laughs> or if they, you know, want to raise their hand and be like, mention this. And I'll be like, oh yeah, great. Totally forgot. Thanks for, thanks for participating. So it, it can be really nice to just have a a therapist mediate family talks, which again, kind of models back to your original question, how to talk about tough stuff, because we'll do it together in therapy. Speaking of which, we have a platform here that we are able to have conversations with all kinds of people and adults, of course. So how do we as parents ourselves, I have to happen a, a, a young tween mm -hmm. um, and Tim is the father of a teenager. So how do we help parents start those conversations? How can we be a bridge to helping those parents who are having a hard time, maybe having those conversations or how, you know, 
how what advice can you give us to share with our listeners sure that's a really good question i have more questions about that question i like i'd be curious what they are finding difficult about those conversations okay because that would then sort of tailor my response but i also think that's a really good question for you to start with them when they say i'm I just don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. I don't know how to have these conversations. And you just kind of and just kind of language it back as I hear you're having a hard time starting these conversations. So why do you think you're having a hard time? And is there something that I can help you with, such as an icebreaker or something like that? Yeah, I love what you how you started because that's validation, which is so important it's not just for kids, it's for everybody. Adults love to be validated too. So kind of reflecting what they're saying, I am hearing that it's really hard to do this and you're not, you're feeling unsure. And that makes a lot of sense. What feels like the hardest part? What's the biggest obstacle? What's the hump you sort of have to come you know, over to get to the place where you will feel a little bit more comfortable or it will feel a little bit easier. And then from there, and that's building inside because maybe they don't know. Maybe no one's asking that question. They just feel like, I don't know what to do. So I'm just not going to think about it. And this is scary. <laughs> and that's what, and I think that that's what happens to people. And I think a lot of people get frozen because they're afraid because they don't, a lot of times, a lot of times, I honestly think people don't get involved because they just don't care mm-hmm. and they don't want to get involved because they don't want to have any responsibility for anything. But then there's the other people who have a genuine curiosity, which is where it all kind of starts. And mm-hmm. then and then you're almost afraid because you don't know what to do necessarily, because we're not all building these types of skills. So it's, it's not, which is why it's very important what you're doing, because you're helping these younger kids know it themselves, because mm-hmm. that's that's where the change is. It's in ourselves. We can't change mm-hmm. anything except ourselves. So for sure. Yeah, and I think. Dr. Jamie, just real quick, you you had said something that I think is very huge and, and relevant is that even as adults, we don't know. And, and you know what I mean? So that's 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 a for me, that was a huge piece because I didn't know a lot of this stuff. And like you said earlier, I think maybe just maybe just starting a conversation it doesn't have to be this specific topic, but just having more conversations and like, hey, you know what? Uh, I saw this on the TV or whatever it may be. And just to lay that foundation of a, of we're going to have these conversations and then, you know, kind of incrementally increase it and, and start, you know, laterally throwing things at them. For sure. And I think the whole, I don't know piece of it is so huge. And I make a big deal about that in therapy with my teens, because I sometimes might ask them a question that they genuinely don't know the answer to. And I think somehow systemically we've been given this impression that that's not acceptable. Like we have to come up with some answer wrong and we know it's wrong. We're just like, well, here's what I think just to say something. It's funny that you say that because I remember that and I, and I do the same thing, unfortunately, to my daughter sometimes when she says she doesn't know, I'm like, what do you Mm -hmm. mean you don't know? And then you, you forget because that happened to me too. Genuinely, you don't, your, your young mind probably doesn't know because it doesn't mm-hmm. have that function like a, a grown up does. So it's, you forget that sometimes. No, yeah. that's important. That's an important thing right there. That should be like a, a reel right there is, is mm-hmm. what exactly what you just said. Cause I think that 
not only goes for the child, teen, whatever, but as adults, because I think that's part of it too, is for me, at least it was like, almost like I had to shed my ego and be like, you know, Hey, you know what? I don't know, you know, but as a parent, as an adult, you're like, well, like you said, I'm, I'm supposed to know. And you know what I mean? I'm supposed to take care of my child and know these things to help them. But sometimes I don't, you know what I mean? But I think it's that ego up there going, Hey, you gotta, you gotta pretend like, you know, this or figure it out. But no, you know, I don't, I just have to say, I don't know, but we can figure it out together. Exactly. That's very humanizing for a parent, for an adult, for a therapist in front of a kid who's being asked these questions and they don't know all the answers. And then they're being told, you know, if you don't know, you can just say that that's valid. And they'll, they'll nod their head, but be like, I don't believe you. You I hear what you're saying. And I'm not going to say, I don't know. (laughs) Especially if it's a new client, they don't, really know me. We're strangers. We're, we're building that trust. We're, we're building that rapport, but I'll then follow up with, listen, you might ask me a question that I don't know. And I'm going to say, I don't know because fair is fair, right? If I'm not, you know, if I'm not going to have all the answers and I'm going to say, I don't know, you should be afforded the same opportunity to say, I don't know. And with parents who are asking, what do I do? You know, that's validation too. It's okay not to know. Most people don't know everything, you know, and by entering into a conversation with your kids with that mindset, there's less of a hierarchy that exists in those conversations, which can serve as like a source of tension for kids just in general, like this expectation that parents know best, teachers know best, you know, adults know best. And so they're not necessarily going to even try and have a conversation because they just feel like, you know, they walk into it rolling their eyes, like whatever, you're going to say what you want to say. And it might not have any relation to what my lived experience is or how it might actually work in my life. And so you just say what you think and I'll, I'll yes you and walk away and nothing will have happened as a result of that conversation. So sort of bringing yourself down as an adult with kids and being like, listen, I don't have all the answers either. Let's just figure this out together. Let's figure this out together. I think it's a really great place to start. Square one. Yeah, because I would think that uh, doing that, not only saying that, but then actually uh, taking action and, and doing it together would build trust in all these things, right? I mean, definitely. They, and they would feel less alone. I mean, at both parties involved no longer feel like they're doing this together. The adults not feeling like they're worrying and watching and not understanding and don't even have access to any information, if, even if they don't have access to all of it. Something is more is better than nothing. Absolutely. And the kids, too, feel supported as much as they roll their eyes and huff and puff into, you know, on the, at the kitchen table for this conversation or in the living room couch, it is an act of love to have someone come to you and say, listen, I'm noticing these things and I'm here for you. And I, you know, I want to talk about these things. Let me know how you want to talk about these things when you want to talk about these things. It's something I think that's important to talk about you, you can be in control of this conversation. I just want to be here for you. And that is seen as something very powerful and they might not show it. Their nonverbal and verbal (laughs) communication might not communicate that, but that, that hits deep to a kid, but to people in general, like having someone say that to you is really powerful. 
So I think it's to, to remember that it's just literally sitting next to a kid and allowing them to feel without even really having to say anything that can be, you know, most impactful for those parents that ask, you know, what do I do? It can, you can just sit with your kid. You can just like watch TV with them and be attending to what they're doing. You don't even really have to be asking them questions. One of the things I've discovered in working with the individuals that I work with daily and just people in general and some of the people that like Tim and I come into contact with, sometimes people are not are never heard. So some mm-hmm. people just need to vent also. And some people actually don't even aren't aren't looking necessarily for opinions or guidance or advice. They just want to be able to just blow off some steam sometimes. Mm-hmm. And even in a even in like a therapeutic or clinical or side, there's there's still some of that too. Because I have one thing that I've noticed about mental health is that when you have a mental illness and you have that in your background, sometimes Mm -hmm. you're not allowed to necessarily have those emotional feelings because they're often, they're often seen as a symptom and not necessarily seen as a human, just having some emotions and just needing to vent and just needing to blow off some steam. Like not everything can be considered a full-blown crisis. Like. Exactly. And, and I say that to my clients too, new clients, but even um, clients I've been seeing for a long time who might come in and say something like, I don't really, nothing crazy happened this week. You know, it wasn't a wild week. I'm not sure what we should talk about. And I have to say, okay, well, this is, this place isn't just for crises. <laughs> you tell me about your good week. <laughs> I want to hear about what went well <laughs> and maybe we can figure out what made it go so well so that more weeks can go well. It doesn't just have to be, um, like in the moment when you're coming in, because I certainly have sessions too, where they come in and they're, they take an inhale before they sit on the couch and they don't stop talking for the whole hour and that they've had, they have stuff to say. And I'm just kind of like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, oh, okay, mm-hmm. Like to try and reflect a little, little validation. I might say something, but honestly, I'm probably like in my <laughs> keeping notes because I have so many things to say and I just don't want to interrupt them. So they just, I just let them go, let them rip. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is, it's a reminder to people just in general, um, but also who are like thinking about therapy and have this idea that it's only for the most mentally ill human. Um, it's just to talk about hard things, to make those hard things a little bit easier. That is, that's what it's about. I love it. I love it. That is what it's about. And I wish more people utilized it. We talk about therapy all the time because therapy is, mm-hmm. you know, been beneficial for the both of us. So it's mm-hmm. like, I just wish, I wish the access was better for a lot of people. Yeah. And I wish that people would actually participate when they're going to take the time to do it and actually do the work that comes with it. But it's not my choice. Right. Right. It, Those I, are all- oh, go ahead. No, that I was just going to say what you said or like, was like perfect. I think um, I think actually I saw myself a lot of what, what you were just saying too, with like, even, you know, I've been going to therapy for a long time, but even, you know, you know, five, seven years in, I would come in and just be like, yeah, I don't really have anything today. But then like 10 minutes later, I find myself, you know, talking it up. So, mm-hmm. um, but I think, 
I think I like that, like flipping the script, I guess I would call it as, you know, instead of, instead of seeing therapy as this place to unleash problems or something like that, maybe, maybe just maybe we could say, Hey, this positive thing happened. And then we can figure out, like you said, what brought this positive thing, what brought you joy and how do we get it again? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, that's, that's pretty, I don't know. I like that after yeah. you just said that little thing, it's like, it really kind of hit me. I think that's, yeah, it's Thank good. You. That's the insight. That's the building of the insight. People come in and they're like, oh, well, this day was not so great. This day was great, but they can't like backtrack and tell me what it was about the day or probably the day before or the days prior, even leading up to it that, you just had these, this perfect recipe of circumstances that led them to be successful. And the more insight we build into those things that lead to a good day or a not so good day, the less not so good days and more good days we have. That's sort of, that's it. That is it. That's, that's it. I like it. I mean, it's, you know, it sounds, you know, that simple as we know it's not, but sure. I mean, that is it, that, you know, on paper, that is it. Really, yeah. I mean, that's that could be to... years of work. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's the it's at least mm, having that question be out there so that we're talking about it in session. Maybe they're thinking about it between session. The more we talk about it, the more they're likely to be thinking about it. And the more they're going to like catch these little things that they're doing like, oh, this is the breakfast that I had this morning, or I had breakfast this morning, um, or on days where I have a lot of tests or on days that I have a game. I, tend or I didn't, to- I didn't sleep last night. All of it. Yeah. And they start I to agree. notice these little things. The more we talk about it, the more they notice it. And then they come in and they're like, you know what, this is what's happening. And so now I can adjust this to set myself up better for success. And they start to give themselves a little bit of credit for the work that they're already doing that they rarely give themselves credit for. No one gives themselves enough credit. No one, you know, we need to work on giving one another credit too for like all the work that we do every day. It's hard. Life is hard. Absolutely. We talk, Will and I both talk about that, you know, the little victories and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, not even the little victories, but just the, the space to, you know, allow that space to have it, you know, whether it's, it's a negative or a positive, helpful or unhelpful, mm-hmm. allow the space for both of them, all of it, you know? So yeah. that's, that's, that's definitely part of that's huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For um, kids, I have these like really bright, like thought bubble pieces of paper that are neon colors that are in different shapes, different sizes. And I will have them write the things that they accomplish or want to accomplish or feel good about themselves for that they can put typically in their room, in their bathroom, somewhere that they're going to sort of start their day. So they're, it's literally in their face because they need practice seeing it and hearing it, which is why it's so important for people to validate others. Um, because that the voice in their head is more likely much more negative and louder than the positive things that they hear from other people. Um, so to have something coming from someone else frequently to sort of kind of quiet that down, turn the volume down on that negative voice or a literal bright, like firework that says something positive about themselves that in their handwriting, that's in their face, that can be really helpful. And, um, you know, having them be a little bit nicer to themselves a little bit more easily. Uh, Dr. Jamie, I see from 
your psychology today page that uh, you you are certified in pain reprocess therapy. Yes. Can you just tell us what that is? Uh, what that is? Because I've never I that's something I've never heard of. And then I saw it and I was like, Oh, what's that? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I know what it sounds like. So I Sure. Uh, so I have chronic pain um, and I work with clients who have chronic pain. Um, I work with adults who have chronic pain, but I also expand that into my work with teens because teens have pain too. So pain reprocessing therapy functions on the belief that certain pain in the body or physical sensations as they put it, because they don't want to have this like negative connotation that we associate with pain to the sensation. It just is a sensation we experience physically is sort of, um, our brain sending a false alarm off to the rest of our body. So our body is reacting as though we're in danger, even when we're completely safe. And that's impacted by our biology, our um, psychology, so our emotions, our thoughts, our feelings, and our social circumstances. So sort of like a biopsychosocial approach. And um, it's having the client engage in a variety of different activities and learning these techniques that allow them to sort of turn their attention inward and be mindful of these physical sensations through a lens of safety and curiosity and openness rather than fear. So it's really working on the connection of fear to these physical sensations, because what we know about the brain is that that fear is sending off this alarm that's causing the body to tense and communicate this danger to the rest of our body, which makes us feel pain. Um, And then our fear about that and our emotions that are tied within that only amplify the pain. And so by um, minimizing that fear and sort of turning toward sensations that feel even just neutral, doesn't have to be positive, like breathing um, or just the warm sun on your face or cold water on your hands and really paying attention to that and following that fear and sticking with it. You start to train your brain to consider the possibility that these signals that your brain is communicating to you are false alarms so that you are in fact safe. And then we get to the point where they're actually tracking the painful sensations that they came in with, with this lens of openness and curiosity um, and neutrality. And so it even if the feelings continue, which a lot of times once you sort of have a grasp from a more neurobiology perspective of what that feeling is and how it's generated, it usually decreases pretty significantly. Some will report it goes away completely. If it comes back, which it likely will, you are not afraid of it. And so it loses its power over you. And so I do that a lot with chronic pain patients, but I specialize in anxiety and depression. So a lot of my kiddos, uh, especially my anxious kiddos, maybe who even panic or have panic attacks, a lot of their symptoms manifest physically in their body, stomach aches, headaches, nausea, just not feeling well physically. And so I can apply that as PRT sort of techniques to um, my kiddos with anxiety and depression too. And just a really helpful way to check in with their body curiously and not fearfully. How much of chronic pain is emotional versus physical or does it vary? I'm sure it varies depending on the person, but have you noticed a 
a correlation between certain injuries and more, or is it at certain injuries and more emotional value, or is it the emotional value that was placed on the event that caused such injury? Or maybe we may not even know, say, if we have a genetic thing that we're, yeah. that we have. Mm-hmm. I think it's, would be harder to say, you know, point blank, this percentage or this number, it would be to your point, depending on the person. I think that as we continue to research pain and pain psychology, which is a whole field of psychology, we're learning that there are many predisposing factors that would put a person um, kind of increase their vulnerability to experience chronic pain. So you can look at, there's a lot of back studies. Chronic back pain is like one of the most prevalent sorts of pain, um, me included. And so, yeah, (laughs) they have done many studies where you're looking at MRIs of the exact same injuries, like a disc bulge or a herniation. And half of the people with the same injury don't feel any discomfort. And half the people have been in debilitating pain for decades. And so what are the factors around that camp's experience that amplify that pain? And once we learn that, how can we communicate that information to those people? And so like with that knowledge, it sort of takes away the power of the pain because they're more knowledgeable about what is causing that pain to be so severe because it's being tied in with, you know, their emotions, their personality traits, their, their family history, you know, genetics to your point, but family history of mental health stressful events that occurred maybe around the time of the injury or when maybe there is no injury and it just started to hurt all of these different factors that are typically included in, you know, an assessment of whether or not something like PRT would be helpful, but it's those predisposing factors that help us understand, oh, this is maybe what's different. And these people have a lot more in common than this group that's not experiencing pain. It's amazing because the more conversations that we have with awesome people like yourself, the the more the energy thing is proven to me every conversation because mm-hmm. we really are just energy that is in physical form that like has all kinds of stuff. So that energy holds on to all kinds of things. So it's and it can get stuck in places as we mm-hmm. and that's why like I'm a really big proponent of acupuncture and and stuff because I think it really helps. Yeah. And I'm just curious because the spine is the channel of energy that runs from the top gate to the bottom gate. Mm-hmm. And is there anything, I mean, I'm healed. I'm, you know, eight, 10 years removed from surgery and stuff, but I have so much pain still all the time. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that I can do to help restore that energy gate more? Or is that energy gate permanently damaged? Yeah. I don't know in terms of energy, you know, that I would speak to in terms of energy. I do. I love acupuncture. I was thinking about acupuncture when you were talking about energy, big fan. I catch on to the word damage when you say that, because that then communicates to your brain that there's danger, like using the word damage. Am I going to move, be able to move past this damage automatically? I'm like, Oh, your brain's that's a, that's a strong neural pathway in your brain. You have like paved that road. And so we need to 
adjust the language that we use around our pain because okay. our brain hears what our mouth says you know well, that like, song yeah that song has been played a lot that <laughs> the, needle, the needle is very deep on that groove believe yeah me. there's a lot because unfortunately to this neck pain there's a lot of emotional stuff tied to it also yeah it's not just the physical injuries that were the cause of it but it's mm-hmm. also all of the things that happened in my life pre post during and right there's so much to it so i i don't want to co-opt for my own therapy session but that's, yeah sure but i just I, and and you're right it's probably about the damage part I, the, you yeah. know well, that's just the first part obviously yeah. the, the <laughs> that's just like what i hear in your singular sentence i'm like oh okay there it is yeah. um, and just like being aware of the fact that the emotional components do play a factor um and it's not just the physical you know, things that you see and that you've had surgery on. Um, but yeah, PRT has um, just like the idea of somatic tracking might be a cool thing to look up. And, you know, if we ever, you know, continue this conversation, we can talk much more about it. But it's the idea that you're tracking this uh, physical sensation curiously and openly while also engaging in safety reappraisal. So telling your body you are safe. This is just a physical sensation and sort of paving a new road that doesn't have these false alarms. You took all the, you fix all the false alarms, you replace the batteries, everything like feels secure and safe. So you can just go forward knowing that even if you do experience physical sensations that are uncomfortable, you know that you can handle it. And it's not something that's worth like going into full emergency. I need to brace for this mode, um, which typically leads us to do things that are actually less helpful for our bodies um, than more helpful. A couple of weeks ago, we had uh, Dr. Michelle Marks on and she used the smoke alarm. Mm-hmm. You know, So the alarm goes off, but your brain doesn't know, is it smoke or is it fire? Mm. You know what I mean? And mo- so many of us go, it's fire. We're, we're scrambling. And, you know, sometimes we need to find out it's just smoke and, you know, to, to lower it down a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the second, I always will knows this, but I always, anytime um, we facilitate groups or anything like that, or talking, I always say that I live with mental health challenges because mm-hmm. so many times I hear people, I have depression, I'm depressed, I'm angry. No, no, no. I live with these challenges because just like you just said, you just validated exactly what I, I always say. It's it's the way that we talk to ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, you say that I'm damaged. Guess what? That's what your brain hears. And that's what is laying tracks right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's so huge. I, I So I just wanted to say that. And then another piece of, of it, you would, you would a little while ago, you had brought up validation. Um, so what if, the, like it, you were saying that if we need to validate each other more and, and just kind of, so what if the, we as like a person don't see it or feel it, but when others say it to us, hmm. so if we don't see it or feel, you know, feel it, does it matter when other people say it to us? Do we just kind of push it out or how is that? You kind of get what I'm saying? Yeah. Does it matter to the person who doesn't hear it as well? You mean? Who's yes. not hearing it? Yeah, (laughs) I think um, it's worth it. It's always worth it to validate. Always. I wouldn't want someone who is validating and working to validate, but feels like it's not landing right to stop or give up because 
the conceptualization that I automatically have of the person that might not be receiving it is this is years of wall building in a hard, hard shell around them. And that negative voice that you're talking about before is megaphoned, you know, super loud. And so you need to chip away at the wall, at the shell with the validation. And the more you do it, the more consistently you do it, the harder that, you know, the bigger that hole is going to get. And eventually that wall is going to crumble and that person is going to be more receptive to it. It might be, it's going to be hard to be validated for the first time or for the first few times. If you're not used to that, it can feel disingenuine. It can be something they hear and they don't believe like, yeah, okay, whatever. You can say this to me, but like, I'm never going to believe it. Right. It's a big soup for sure. I mean, there's so many variables to it, but I, I, I like your answer. I think that exactly how I saw it is, you know, we can chip away at it. I just, I feel like a lot of it for me, um, we need to focus like intrinsically on it too, is not yeah. rely on other people to do it. It's nice when they do. Cause I think that helps. That may even be like the first hammer. That may be the first crack that we get. And yeah. we, we also have to chip at it, you know, yeah. like a t- team effort, you know what right. I mean? Like you said earlier, do it together. We need to do it together. Yeah. I think especially for people that are have gone, especially kids, right. Who have gone into the habit of talking to themselves with um, a not so nice tone of voice internally, they need to hear it done differently outside of themselves because that's the only way they know how to talk to themselves is that way. Um, And that has also likely been impacted by the way other people talk to them. Even if it was just one person that talked to them in such a way that it like left a lasting mark on them and that's the voice that plays the loudest in their heads if that's true then they do they need the support of others to remind them how to talk to themselves nicely and point out these things that they're doing but maybe not noticing or noticing and not giving themselves credit for and so i think it's so worth it to validate like to get that validation from outside and then eventually it becomes the voice that they hear like sometimes my kids will say, um, I was doing something and I heard your voice in my head, <laughs> like ask me a question or say something to me like, uh, 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 don't talk to yourself like that <laughs> because I do that to them when they're in session. It's working. <laughs> and they hear me, they hear me in between. So they're, they're going to hear you when they're having a hard time. It's going to like creep in. It might be quiet. Maybe a whisper that's like easily dismissed, but the more that you give that positive, you know, feedback and reinforcement to somebody, the louder that voice is going to be. And eventually it, it becomes a little bit of a fighting match between the negative and the positive, which can feel a little frustrating for people. But that's when I have to say, as frustrating as it is, therapy and mental health is active work, which touches to your point of like, I'm living with this, like you will have to actively engage in these things all the time, like potentially long-term, you know, it's not, you're never going to like close the door completely on the negative voice. It exists. It's there. And so you just have to like equip yourself with the alternative and be ready to kind of fight back. Yeah. I love it. I love it. This is Yeah, this is stuff that's been on my mind for a long time. And I think you just nailed it. So perfectly said. There you go, Timmy. We have to make friends with the gremlins. (laughs) Yes, we have to invite them. We have to invite them over for dinner and and let them hang out. And I used to think it was about erasing them and and, and stopping the voice. But it's Mm -hmm. not. It's 
it's it's kind of getting the strength to fight back you know and and you know what and and maybe reframe it and then say to yourself you can say all this stuff you want but i know who i am and i know that i'm going to be okay mm-hmm. you know yeah. i think tall. that's where it's at yeah it's building tolerance it's, it's for that for those negative voices it's building that for the chronic pain stuff we are telling ourselves these things and we have to build a tolerance to them because they're going to be there. So we just need to figure out how to manage them because they exist. And, but once we understand them, then it becomes tolerable. And then we live. We live. This is awesome. This is awesome. Thank Gaining you. tolerance with Dr. Jamie. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, ixnay my, my usual question because I wanted to touch on this in the conversation and, um, we didn't really get a chance to, it's kind of a loaded question, but you know, you just feel free to, to, you know, throw in some things. Um, but since you are you kind of specialized with teens and anxiety and depression, mm-hmm. um, we've all seen an increased rate with this, with teens. Um, what, in your words, what are some of the things that are contributing to these high rates? You mean of, of suicidal ideation or just mental health? Uh, of Well, more or less of like, you can throw all of it. Yeah, but in, more, I was kind of specific to anxiety and depression seem to be more common, mm. um, but maybe I'm wrong. So you can. Uh, I don't know off top the, you know, the prevalence rates and the increase. I think kids are talking about it more. Um, I think it's something that they've been experiencing this whole time. Like being a teenager is stressful. Kids experience anxiety. Um, there are certainly things in this world <laughs> that, um, you know, things that are happening in schools, things that are happening around the world that they have access to with social media and the news. And that's you know, we live in a stressful time that probably increases their anxiety, but I think it's something that they've probably experienced. Again, stress is normal. I think talking about being stressed is becoming more normalized. And so we are seeing a lot more, um, anxiety as being prevalent, but it's just because kids are talking about it a lot more. When I was in school, if you were in therapy, you didn't talk about it. But my kids at the lunch table are like, well, my therapist said, and my therapist said, and it's just like something, it's just like part of the conversation. So they're talking about their thoughts and feelings. They're talking about um, depression and anxiety. They're talking about therapy. And so I think it might seem face value, like it's increasing. And that that might also be true. Um, but I think it's that kid. So it's a good thing that we're talking about it then. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is a good thing. I just, I just, I guess I was looking at it differently from a different light. As a therapist mm-hmm. and as a grown up living in, in 2023, you're a very busy mm-hmm. woman, I'm sure. And as someone who is a helper, that means you have to be able to fill your cup also. So mm. what does Dr. Jamie do to fill her cup up when she needs to be refilled? Ooh, um, I love tea. Have tea right now. That fills my cup literally and figuratively. Um, I love to tap dance. I've been tap dancing since I was really little and I taught for most of my life. Um, so I still tap dance. I have a wonderful collection of fun colored tap shoes. Um, and I love to read. So I read all the time and people are always asking, oh, what do you read? A lot of the adults in my life read really serious 
really intense books that I'm sure are beautifully written, but I'm reading like really easy, trashy YA. I'm reading the books that my kids are reading, really. <laughs> and I read really fast. So I'm reading a lot of trashy <laughs> um silly easy to read YA I'll bring you know for seven days of a trip seven to nine books and I'm just reading them and everybody's like oh do you have any recommendations and I'm like (laughs) you can read this if you want well so is it that you really enjoy those books or is it that you also use it as a connection too because to me like, it seems like you're actually doing some work in that, too, because you're being able to connect through their through their literature and their language, which is awesome. For sure. A little bit, you know, because um, their language is changing all the time. I'm always like yeah. trying to keep up with the next cool word. And a lot of my kids, which honestly feels pretty offensive to me, they'll say a new word and they'll be like, do you even know what that means? And I am usually, this happened multiple times last week. And I was like, yes, I do know what that means. But sometimes I don't. And that's when I say, no, I don't know. Can you tell me? And that's all right too. But I do truly enjoy those books. I need to turn off my brain when I'm not at work. Obviously, and then I think, oh, you know, I spend time with my family and friends. That's really cool too. But because I am working most days, most of the day, I need to be alone. (laughs) I don't have things for other people when I'm done. (laughs) I have to like carve time out for that because I'm tired. I've got nothing left for other people. So a lot of those things that I do, I kind of do on my own so that I can refill my cup to be available for, you know, my family and my friends when we're chatting on the phone or catching up in real life. Awesome. Thank you, Dr. Jamie. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that's very, uh, you know, it's crucial to be mindful in your position to, to, to know that, to know these things like, Hey, you know what? I don't have anything to give right now. So I need to refill, you know, definitely um, Mm -hmm. crucial. Yeah, for sure. So the last question is if there was something that you would like to see done Mm. or something that you could do for mental health as a whole without any kind of restrictions, what would it be? The first thing, there's a million things. The first thing that comes to my mind is health classes. Donna and I, James's Warriors, we push into health classes a lot. And so that is something that we feel very um, appreciative to have the opportunity to kind of early intervention with some of these kids, start this conversation when other people might not have started it for them, put this out there, give them some tools. I hear from, I would say most of my teens that their health classes feel out dated, um, a little overwhelming in the way that it's delivered. Like they're giving statistics about substance use when some of my, um, clients have families who are struggling with substance abuse difficulties, and they're coming in really upset that their health class just splayed a bunch of percentages of, if you know someone that's struggling with substance abuse, you too will struggle with substance abuse. This is likely, and kind of sitting in classes where people are telling them their impressions of what they're living with. And it feels a little invalidating. It feels like they're being talked down to, like they don't, a little bit condescending. And I think it would be really great to just revamp the whole health curriculum in schools because 
very often that is the first exposure to mental health um, and just health in general that kids are getting. And so to have that be revamped a little bit, um, I think would be really great in just giving them information, providing them with validation, normalizing the fact that therapy should be for everybody. And, you know, then that trickles into the whole accessibility issue, which is obviously something else that I would change. (laughs) But um, yeah, I definitely health classes is the first thing that I think of when you say that. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. We would love to have you back. Cause I know there's other stuff. Cause yeah, definitely. You're definitely coming back. You don't have a choice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Can you tell our listeners, because obviously you're here in New York and, Mm -hmm. and we're all over the place anyway, but can you tell our listeners where you are, how to get a hold of you and whatever other social things that you have out there and, and if you have any books or anything like that? Yes. Um, so I'm in Beacon, New York in Dutchess County. It's, I grew up sort of a couple towns over, um, in Poughkeepsie area. And, um, I have a private therapy practice called BFF therapy in Beacon, New York. That's where I specialize with, um, adolescents and young adults, most of which have anxiety or depression, many of whom experience suicidal ideation or urges to self-harm. So I work with a lot of high-risk clients. I have a website, bfftherapy.com. You can learn about me and my practice partner. Um, She does some um, different things, but we both have all the links to all the articles, um, the blog that I write, all the podcasts that I've been on. Um, You can access all those things there. And we also have an Instagram uh, at BFF therapy where anyone, including our clients can follow us so that they can just see our faces, get to know us, hear our voices before they meet us and provide some like helpful tips and tricks or sharing any resources that they, we think would be helpful for people to have access to. Um, so those would be really great ways to kind of check me out. Um, and if you want to consult with me, um, or follow up about anything, there's a little, um, inquiry form in the contact page of our website that you can, um, that you can fill out and uh, I'll get right back back to you. Awesome. I'll have all that in the show notes for everybody to check out and click on links and do all that stuff. So Dr. Jamie, thank you so much. It's been awesome. It's been a pleasure meeting you and I can't, we can't wait to talk to you again. Um, Hopefully as the summer and this year progresses into 2023 and we're doing events and things Mm. are going on, hopefully we will run into each other somewhere along the lines uh i'm not sure when the 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 walk down there is for afsp i'm not it's sure usually it's in september usually sometime in september for you guys it is yeah down there so. mm-hmm. i think okay. it's usually like a week after ours isn't it is it a week after rita i'm trying to remember i can't remember okay it but moves around it wiggles yeah hopefully we'll see each we'll hopefully we'll run into each other at some point during this during this year Absolutely. humanizing humanizing the conversation with dr jamie thank you so much for your wisdom and sharing all this stuff and uh we hope to get you back on soon yes thank you so much for having me i'm looking forward to being back absolutely (laughs) awesome have a great day thank you dr jamie you too all right well yes timmy wow holy cow get well get well be safe stay
above. Thank you for giving us a listen. New episodes every Wednesday. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can share, rate, review, and even subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Other ways to support the show? Follow us on social media. Share the content. Share our episodes. You can also buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash above ground pod. For further concerns, show ideas, or just to say hi, you can email us at abovegroundpodcast at gmail. Once again, thank you for listening and supporting mental health. Keep the conversation going and stay above.